Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. All right. How is everybody? Good, good. Some of you go, that was my weekend. Like, right? That was my weekend. I've been renovating all weekend. I have motivated some of you. Some of you said we were thinking about redoing our house, and I looked at my husband and said, this is God's will, right? We're in this series called Fixer Upper. And uh, hey, I'm glad you're here. I want to welcome both of our campuses. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus and our Noonan campus together. Let's give both campuses a big round of applause. So glad that you're here today worshiping with us. So we're in our series called Fixer Upper. And uh, last week we made some really cool statements, and this is one of the biggest ones. God's design for us is transformation, not renovation, right? Religion always seeks to just want to renovate us, like just put a fresh coat of paint on it, right? Like just lay down some new carpet and everything will be good. But God didn't come. He didn't send his son Jesus so we could just experience a renovation. He sent Jesus so we could experience transformation. And there's a big difference. Remember Romans 12 too. We're not to conform to the patterns of this world, but we're to be transformed by the what? Renewing of our minds, And last week we talked about how when we give our life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes live inside of us and he has the power to begin to transform us. And the cool thing about that is we said it this way, we used the Camaro to talk about it last week, that we have a whole new capacity with a whole new ability. And so someone didn't listen to God this week. I prayed someone would buy me a Camaro and just show up at my house. No, I'm just teasing. I don't need a jet or a Camaro, okay? I'm glad you're here today. I have a bicycle. That's good enough for me. Um, I'm glad you're here today. Take your Bible, turn to the book of John chapter 2. That wasn't a knock at anybody. Y'all go, ooh, boy. We're not throwing spears or darts today. John chapter 2. We're talking about being renovated. We're talking about living and experiencing a transformed life. So where are we in the series today? The good news for today is I've got some really awesome good news to share with you today. Today is demo day. Yeah, how many of y'all want to tear something up today? You say, man, I would love to like go, listen, I will, listen, if you call me and say, Pastor Sean, would you come over to my house? I've got to tear a wall out. I will do it. All right, I love to tear stuff up. How many of you, when you were young, you just loved to tear stuff up? I loved to tear stuff up. I would build stuff, and the the funnest part wasn't building it. The funnest part was tearing it down. Well, today, it's demo day. It's the day that we've got to look at some things in our life that just need to be torn down. And here's why. Because the process of transformation begins with demolition, The thing that we want to see God do in our life, he may not be able to do until he tears down some other things in our life that just don't need to exist anymore. And I love it. Every time I turn on the show Fixer Upper, there's that point where they they lay out this design. And last week we talked about God's got a better design, right? God's got a great design for our lives. But what would they say if they gave those people the design and they came in to tear down those walls and they came down to tear down the house and they said, oh, no, 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 no. We want to keep the whole place just like it is. (laughs) If I was Chip and Joanne, I'd be like, you just ruined our show. Because there is no way we can transform this house unless there's some walls 
that start to come down. Now, the funny thing is, in our society, in our generation, there's lots of walls. Think about all the walls that are in our world right now. Think about the political walls that are being built right now. Think about the financial walls that keep people from realizing their dreams. The economy that we live in. People go, man, I can't ever get over this financial wall that I'm in. Think of, uh, think of the racial walls that exist in our country. And the more I started thinking about this, I realized is that walls do something. You know what walls do? They segregate things. You can have a complete like footprint of something and walls came in and they kind of segregate things. And I started thinking this in my own life. If we're gonna transform our society, then we gotta get rid of the segregation in our own lives. You see, we can't change our world racially until we let God change our lives personally. The segregation starts here. Can I get an amen? It doesn't start in the media. It doesn't start in all these other places. It starts right in our own hearts. So think about it this way. What are the walls of segregation that exist in your own life that are keeping you from experiencing transformation? John chapter 2. I'm going to tell you this story. Jesus, growing up as a young Jewish boy, would have done many of the things that many of the men who were Jews would have done. You see, three times a year, if you were a Jewish man, you had to go to Jerusalem and celebrate three different festivals or three different feasts. One of those was the Feast of Passover. The other was the the feast known as Pentecost. And, And the other feast was the Feast of Tabernacle. And you would have to go in, and as a Jewish man, you would stop everything you were doing, and you would go into the town, and, and you would go into Jerusalem, and you would typically go into the, the, to, to the Gentile courts near the place where the Holy of Holies was, but you couldn't quite get close enough to it. And you would go there to celebrate these festivals. Jesus, early on in his ministry, we know some of the miracles Jesus performed, right? We know that in John 1... In early part of John 2, Jesus shows up at a wedding and his mom says, hey, do whatever he tells you to do. And he changes the water into wine. But one of the next instances we see of Jesus's life is found in John chapter 2. The Bible says that Jesus went to the temple because it was the time for one of those feasts. And as he went into the temple, he saw something maybe that really got inside of him and really disturbed his soul. As he's getting closer to the place where God's presence and and where they would worship God at the the, the Holy of Holies, he starts noticing that there's a group of people that instead of keeping this place really like intact, they said, hey, I've got something that would really work. I've got a business deal. We can sit here and sell goats and sheep and doves. And when people come in to make sacrifice, they won't have to go down to the local Target or the Walmart. We'll be right here. And so they're sitting there selling sheeps and goats and doves for sacrifices. The only problem is they had made that more important than what the real reason they were there for, and that's to worship God. So in John chapter 2, the Bible says Jesus walks in, and he sees all those tables, and he sees all the money being exchanged, and he walks up, and he just turns the tables over, and he says these words. This isn't what my father's house is about. You know, I remember when I was a little child, I heard that story and I thought, wow, that's a, that's a cool story. Like, Jesus got mad. 
Next time I get mad, I'm going to say, well, Jesus got mad. I'm going to go kick some tables over. Listen, I've served in churches for 27 years. There have been some tables I wanted to kick over. But Jesus walks in and he says something to them and he does something. He said, this isn't what my father's house is about. In other words, what he realized was there's an old religious system here that you guys have continued to make the most important thing and it really means nothing. And then Jesus has this encounter with the Jews. Look at John chapter two, verse 18. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? In other words, they were walking up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, where's your permit? Where's your permit? See, the Jews demanded a sign. Anytime someone came in and said that they were a prophet or that God had told them to do something, the only way that you could prove it is you had to give the Jews a sign. So they looked at Jesus and they said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And look at verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it in three days? The Jews start freaking out. See, it was one thing for Jesus to come in and upset the religious norm, knocking the tables over and casting the doves aside and getting the sheep out of the way. It was a bigger thing for Jesus to walk in and he looked at that temple But he wasn't looking at that temple. He was looking at himself. And here's what he said. He looks straight at them and he says, if you destroy this temple, my father's gonna rebuild it in three days. They couldn't even understand what Jesus was saying. But what Jesus was saying was this. Jesus was revealing God's master plan. For God to transform the world he would have to demolish an old religious system. And guess who he was gonna use? His own son. You see, the temple was part of the old system. Up until that point, everyone had to go there to worship. But we know that when Jesus walked on the scene, he actually said, hey, I'm gonna like tear this temple down and God's gonna rebuild it in three days. And literally what he's doing is he's foreshadowing God's plan to demo his own life in order to transform the world around it. Here's the point I wanna make to you today. Demolition is part of God's design. It was then, and it always has been. You say, what? God wants to tear, yeah, God God knew, I gotta tear my own son down. Jesus himself, in John chapter 12, he's speaking of his death. Look what he says in John 12, 24. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, if it's demoed, right, it produces many seeds. Jesus understood God's plan all along. His design included demolition. Think about the Old Testament. When God's people would walk away from him, many times he would walk into their lives and he'd say, hey, listen, I wanna restore you. I wanna bring something new in your life, but I've gotta get something out of your life so I can bring something new. The book of Hosea, chapter six, he says these words. He says, for God has torn us to pieces. Now that sounds like a demolition to me. He says, for God's torn us to pieces, but he says on the third day, he will heal us. 
You see, God uses demolition by design in your life and my life. He did it with his own son, Jesus. He said, I've got to let the world literally crucify my son so that when it's all said and done, this world can experience transformation. The truth is this, God allows bitterness. Why? Or not bitterness, God allows brokenness. You know why? Because he wants to build something better. The Jews, they were caught up in this religious system And God knew, wait a minute, if I'm going to transform the world and if God's going to transform your life, sometimes God has to allow brokenness because he wants to build something better. He wants to build something better. So I started thinking about this. If God had to do that to his own son, why would God not allow that to happen in our own lives? I mean, I meet people all the time, they go, Why is God taking me through this period of brokenness? Because he wants to build something better. Why is God taking this out of my life? Because he wants to bring a whole new design. If God didn't withhold it from his own son, why would you think he would withhold it from you? Because the truth is, if Jesus would have never let them demo his life, he would have never been buried in a grave and would have come out in resurrection power. Starting to get the picture. See, here's the truth. There are walls in our lives that we need to let God demo so that transformation can begin. So transformation can begin. So I want to talk about the first one today, the first wall that we've got to demo in our lives. And this is important because if we don't identify some of these these walls... They will just exist, and we go, why is my life no different, right? I've gone to church. I've given my life to Jesus. But why am I not experiencing transformation? The first wall is the wall of unbelief. Did you know that there were times in Jesus' life that he couldn't perform a miracle? How many of y'all knew that? Some of you go, really? I didn't know that. Most people don't even know that. They think that Jesus walked on the scene and just snapped and people got healed. No, there were places that when Jesus would go into a place, he couldn't perform a miracle. You know why? Because of unbelief. In fact, in his own town of Nazareth, Jesus said these words in Mark 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed, look, verse six, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus walks on the scene, he's the son of God, right? Like he's coming on the scene, people are getting healed, but there were times and there were places that he would go somewhere and and it's like God said, nope, nope, I can't do the work, I can't transform the moment because there's so much unbelief. And it's crazy if you know anything about many of the cities, there were three cities that Jesus cursed in scripture. There was Bethsaida, there was uh, Chorazion, and there was Capernaum. I remember driving through Israel and we were coming down a valley and we passed the, 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 the ruins of the city Chorazion. And it immediately hit me. There's no city there, why? Because Jesus cursed it, right? You don't want Jesus to curse your city. Right? Like, you don't want him driving by exit 47 and going, no, I can't do anything there. I'm going to have to move on. I'm going to have to leave Troop County. I got to get down to, to, to Auburn before I can do so. You can't do that. Jesus looked at three cities and he cursed them. And you know why he cursed them? 
because they had seen so many miracles, but they didn't change their thinking through repentance. Crazy. One of these cities, but but Bethsaida, it was the place where he healed the blind man. Many of us don't know this because Jesus had to take him outside of the city and spit in the ground and put put like mud in his eyes and then tell him to go but he had to he had to leave the walls of the city to heal the guy why so much unbelief what is unbelief that god is at work all the time around you and i and yet we don't believe him think of all the think of all the miracles in this room And yet some of us walk into this room full of unbelief. I guarantee if I ask everyone in in LaGrange and Noonan to raise your hand if you have met Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, most of us, many of us would raise our hand. That is a miracle. And yet why do we struggle to believe God? You see, here's what we need to do. We need to start tearing. We need to start tearing out the unbelief in our life. You say, I want my life to be different. Well, God wants your life to be different too. See, in Scripture, anytime someone would unbelieve, many times God said, hey, I can do something about that. Mark chapter 9, there's this moment where this guy comes to Jesus, and he says, hey, Jesus, um, my son is demon-possessed. I can't do anything about him. Mark chapter 9, verse 19 Jesus, when they brought the boy to Jesus, this is what he said, he said, you unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he says, bring the boy to me. Now, if you know the story, they brought the boy to Jesus and he's demon possessed. In the moment the demon knew it was Jesus, he starts freaking out. He starts freaking out. And then I love what Jesus said. Jesus asked them a question he already knew the answer to. I like it when Jesus does that. It's not like Jesus didn't know how long the boy had been sick, but he looks at him and he says, how long has your kid been this way? Why did Jesus ask him that question? He wanted to hear the man's response. How much unbelief is in your life? How long has your kid been this way? How long has your life been this way? Jesus looked at him and he said, how long has your kid been this way? Which I just want to say, if you're a parent, that was Jesus having sympathy for you. I think Jesus, if he were here today, he'd look at some of you and he'd see your kid and he'd say, how long has your kid been this way? <laughs> Verse 22, the man looks at Jesus and he says, it's often thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity and help us. Verse 23, if you can, I love it when Jesus asks the question said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Think of all the things you pray for in your life that never transform you. God, I need more finances. God, I need a better car. God, if you would give me that sweet job I've been working for, it would really propel me in my life. But I want to tell you, what that man asked Jesus to do in that moment is one of the most transformative things that could ever happen in our life. And here's the moment. You and I need to say the same thing. God, help my unbelief. Some of you are living next to people that God wants to transform. 
and you don't even know their names. God, help my unbelief. Some of you are going, if God would bless me financially, I would give. No. God, help my unbelief. You see, sometimes you just need to take the first swing and let the drywall fall. Sometimes you just need to say, God, I'm going to start giving five bucks a week, ten bucks. I'm going to, I'm going to start giving because I believe you want to heal my unbelief. And God's going, if I can do anything, oh, man, I can do anything. Some of you have kids. They've walked away from God, and you can't even believe that God wants to change their life. Listen, God can't transform us until that wall comes down. See, here's the beautiful part about that. Many times our world has taught us that the mess is bigger than the miracle. Listen, don't get so focused on the mess that you can't embrace the miracle. Jesus walked in and he looked at him and he said, if I can do anything, With me, nothing's impossible. Listen, I got good news for you today. You say, Sean, you don't understand. I was an addict. You don't understand. I divorced my spouse. You don't understand. My kid is addicted. You don't, no, 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 I do understand. You see, I just understand who Jesus is. Nothing's impossible for him. The first wall that has to come down in our transformation is the wall of unbelief. How many of you want a greater faith? Raise your hand. See, I don't meet anyone. That's like a dumber question, right? Like, yeah, I want great faith. Then you gotta tear down the wall of unbelief. Tear it down. Start walking in faith and believing God wants to change you, and you'll start seeing that drywall come out left and right. Let's talk about the second wall real quick. It's the wall of pride that we deal with in our lives. Now, I know no one here is prideful, right? And that's why we need to talk about it. Because nobody here struggles with pride. Peter struggled with pride. Listen, when you get out of a boat and walk towards Jesus and you even get three feet out of the boat, you'll struggle with pride too. Right? Peter struggled with pride. But the truth is this. Pride is one of those things during the transformation process, you don't always see till you get started. See, we're talking about demoing, right? Have you ever done a project and you just knew there was something lurking behind there that's gonna cost you way more than what you expected and nobody knows it's there? It's usually a leaky pipe or it's usually a bad piece of wiring. But see, pride is kind of like that. You, you look at it and you say, no, no, everything's good out here. Like, I got my life all together, right? Like, I'm going to church now, and I'm, I'm starting to uh, listen to Christian songs and everything. And, and the problem is, you don't even know what's inside. Because until you bust through that pride and you look in that hole, you don't even know what's there. Let me tell you a truth about pride. Pride always hides. You can tell the measure of pride you deal with in your life by what you're attempting to hide from everybody else. Oh my gosh, if they knew this is what I was struggling with, they would reject me. That's pride. Listen to what Peter said. Peter Peter said it this way. 
in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, look what he says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. See, here's what pride does. Pride hides, and it often hides the parts of our life we hope nobody will see, but what it really does is it keeps us from experiencing greater transformation in our life. So we look at this and we go, man, if, if I could just somehow hide this, here's the problem. When Jesus saved you, he put the Holy Spirit inside of you, and now you can't hide this anymore. And that's a good thing. Because I don't know about you, if you pay money for a transformation, how many of you want to find out two years later it was done wrong? Pride always hides. Pride always hides. Say it with me. Pride always hides. God says it this way in his word. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to them. That word oppose is like this wall. It's a wall that stands between us and God's transforming power in our life. And we want to bring it down. We know it's got to come down, but we're afraid. We're like, God says, no, you don't understand, Sean. There's something that I want to do in you that if this wall is here, I can't change. Remember, God wants to transform us. God wants to change us. The cool thing is this, though. He tells us in the very next verse how to take that wall down. Look what he says in verse 6 of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may, what? Lift you up in due time. I love it when God gives a conditional promise. He says, if you do this, then I will do this. And here's what he's saying. You've got to humble yourself. Notice it doesn't say, let your neighbor humble you. (laughs) You see, that first swing has got to be you. It can't be your spouse. Some of you go, well, if my spouse tells me to change, then I'll change. (laughs) No, the truth is, you've got to change. You've got to be so committed to the renovation and the changing of your life that you look at God and say, God, I don't want any part of this. This isn't your plan for me. It's not what you have. You see see how much room now God has to transform us? Just by two walls coming down. But I want to tell you, there's another wall that's got to come down. In fact, I think it's probably the greatest wall that exists in our country right now and probably in the American church. I think this wall may be the one thing that's keeping the church from experiencing massive awakening and revival and seeing the world turned upside down for the gospel. I think this wall, by the sheer fact that we're calling it out today, some of you want to go run and hide. It's the wall of bitterness. You see, it's one thing to begin to attack your pride and realize I've got to humble myself so that God can change me. It's another thing to say, God, help my unbelief. But then we get to this point, we go, there's this one wall standing between me and a different life. Look at Ephesians 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to close with this verse today. What is bitterness? Bitterness means a resentful spirit. It means a spirit of offense or woundedness. I look across the landscape of America and I see more people wounded and offended than healed and delivered. Why? Because that wall exists. Look what Paul said. Remember, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Ephesians 4, verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, here's the cool thing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, not only do you have the Holy Spirit in you, but Paul tells us there's something that's really good. We need to hang on this promise. He gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee that he's going to come back and get us, but that he's also going to finish the work. He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit who has sealed you for the day of redemption. And then he says this in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Listen to what Paul says. We can grieve the very Holy Spirit inside of us, which creates a hindrance to God's progress of transformation. We can hinder the work of God in our life all because of bitterness. It's a resentful spirit. I said this a lot, but I want to say it again. A root of bitterness will always grow a tree of brokenness. If you look at your life and you say, I feel like just big fat oak of brokenness, God says, you gotta get rid of the root of bitterness. What is it in your life that you're offended about? That's where the wall is. You say, Sean, you don't understand. My kids, like, they don't respect me. They don't love me. And so I'm just, you know, I want my kids to respect me. See, some walls you don't even have to sit and try to tear apart. You just need to rip them out. <laughs> where are you wounded and offended? That's where your wall of bitterness is. Well, I'm wounded and offended because the church didn't visit me when I was hurting. Really? Well, I'm wounded and offended because she didn't notice me and she should have noticed me. You're going to allow that to build a wall in your life? You're going to trade all of God's transformation just to hold on to a resentful spirit? Listen, I want to say this. There are some of you in this room, you haven't let go of what God did two years ago in our church and you're still bitter about it. And some of you are bitter towards me. And I want to tell you, God's already told me he's freed me. And he's freed you. And God says, hey, I want to change South Atlanta one relationship at a time. But there's some bitterness at South Crest that's got to come down. Oh, Sean, you don't understand, bro. If you start preaching like this, everyone will go to the other church down the street because nobody. Listen, I don't give a rip. I don't care. I think it's funny that people will hire a personal trainer and pay him lots of money and say, push me, push me, push me. 
But then the pastor walks into their life and they don't want him to push him. Come on, man. I've been watching football. But you know where bitterness comes from? You say, Sean, it comes from the person who hurt me. No, it doesn't. It comes from you. How do you know that? Look at James 4.1. It says, why are there quarrels and fights among you? Does it not come because of desires that war within who? Within you. You see, sometimes bitterness comes from unmet expectations. Oh, I expected him to do this for me. I expected her to do this for me. I, no, 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 no. You don't understand, bro. You're going to let your expectations create walls of bitterness. That's why I like what Paul said. He said, there should be only one outstanding debt in our life, and it should be the debt of love. I owe you all the love. I owe you all the love. That's all I owe you. I don't owe you, I owe you love. That's it. But it's a wall that has to come down. I want to ask you a question. How much more room does God have to do something great in your life when these three walls come down? You see, we look at the symptom, we need to be looking at the wall. Sean, you don't understand. People hate people because of the color of their skin. Yeah, I understand. It's pride. Sean, you don't understand. Like this person, you know, they think you're a dork and an idiot. I understand. They're just bitter. Listen, if you don't want to follow me, get off my feed. But I want to tell you something. I'm going to keep chasing Jesus, and I'm going to chase him till I got one breath left, and I'm going to give it to him. I ain't giving it to bitterness. I spent too many years of my life in bitterness before I met Jesus. He freed me. He delivered me. He put the Holy Spirit in me, and I don't want anything to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because he's not a force, and he's not a feeling. He's a person, and he's alive in me. Look at how much more God can change your life and my life when those walls are gone. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.